As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Each week I'm joined by a selection of writers from the Athletic to bring you unrivaled access and insight into the biggest stories in football. Uh, we're joined today by David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Jack Pitt-Brook. Uh, after an exciting weekend of football, uh, standout moment of the weekend, Jack, you can go first. Being at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> being? Yeah, just, simp- just being. simply being just was enough being. for me this weekend. No, being at Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> Stadium as a fan uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, being amongst, what, 61, 62,000 people, I think, um, having, you know, I was lucky enough to be at the Euros for work and that was very special, of course. But, but yeah, being back at a Premier League game with a huge crowd and having... Uh, a good game that was really well contested and which everybody was emotionally invested in. It was, uh, yeah, it kind of felt like the last 18 months hadn't happened. It was great. David? One of two for me, travelling to the Brentford-Arsenal game on Friday night and the sort of sights and sounds of football and fandom and going to the game, which had become part of our life for so many of us for so many years and we took it for granted I guess became a bit complacent and I just had sort of flashbacks to being a youngster again and and experiencing it all for the first time and it was wonderful aside from some of the language and behavior but honestly the Brentford fans by and large were amazing And, and also the staff around the stadium and that new ground it was just a really happy moment that none of us have experienced or very few of us in in such a long time since before the outbreak of the pandemic. But in terms of a single moment, I would have to say Thomas Frank um, going up to the the supporter whose uh, name escapes me, please forgive me, uh, the young boy in the stands at Brentford. I think that will be one of the iconic images of the season or for many seasons even. And it was a lump in the throat type thing, but it was completely organic and natural. Thomas Frank is an entertainer, he's comfortable in his own skin and it would not have been contrived what he did there. It was, by and large, a beautiful start to the the weekend and the new season. That image of the uh, Brentford fan looked about 75, 80 years old in floods of tears at the final whistle uh, on Friday night. That was incredibly moving. Um, and I think everybody was was everybody with no real emotional investment in Brentford was very moved by those scenes on Friday night. 
Although I have many mates who are Arsenal fans, and they were all in tears after, uh, uh, after <laughs> Friday night as uh, as well. Uh, Adam, um, I'll go for something footbally, which was I just thought Mason Greenwood's goal um, on Saturday lunchtime oh, yeah. was just totally electric, exhilarating. It felt so much better for the being fans there for that moment as well, um, and it just made me very. It was I thought it was an unbelievable goal pass from Pogba, the finish. It was really sort of explosive and kind of just summed up that bringing fans and players back together again. Let's deal with the game that you were at, Jack, yesterday. What You were in the Manchester City end. So before we come on to Harry Kane for 20 minutes of this podcast, when actually, you know, all the noises or what you believe depends on what you're being told because the noises coming from different parties are very different. But before we come on to that, what was the feeling in the City end at the end of that match? I think a lot of City fans thought it was just kind of damningly similar to the Champions League final. You know, City started brightly for the first 15-20 minutes. I did think they were good in that in that spell and they had a few half chances and Mares should have scored. But then they, they seemed to run out of energy and ideas and they were really vulnerable on the break, much more vulnerable on the break than I've seen them be before. And, you know, this time they even had Fernandinho playing so they couldn't blame not having a defensive midfielder. And then just like in the Champions League final... They concede a goal and they don't know how to react. You know, they were so... They never really looked like getting back into the game. They never looked like equalising. There was no sense of of siege or pressure or or or, or anything really like that in, in the second half. And, you know, you can blame the lack of a centre-forward for that. That said, City played really well for a lot of last season without to recognise centre-forward up front, so I don't think it's that simple. Um Grealish had a few good moments in his first game. You can't really blame him for not being fully up to speed in the team on his full league debut. I thought City overall pretty poor. And they hit a side who had a point to prove. That's the other thing that it felt like, Adam, yesterday afternoon. Sometimes there's games where one team just actually needs a result more than the other and and things play out a bit like that. And I felt that was... that It felt like that yesterday. It was one of those days where so much has gone against or... Tottenham have had the feeling of things going against them, and particularly the fans, for such a long time now, probably a year and a half, with everything that went on with Mourinho, losing the League Cup final, and then you have the Super League and issues between the board and the uh, and the fans. And it just felt like Spurs needed that result more yesterday. And, and actually, the last 15 minutes or so were really, really quite throwback and old school. I mean, some of the tackles going in, that the, I mean, it was quite entertaining. The ref was letting a lot of things go. But it was all very throwback and it almost felt like a sort of fifth round FA Cup tie where, you know, a a mid-table Premier League team against a top team at home going very aggressive, very physical. And actually, I thought City yesterday were a bit like a Wenger Arsenal team in that they could just be harried and pressed and and in the end just bullied out of the game. Um, I thought Spurs won the game yesterday for those sort of intangible, just want it just looked like they wanted it a little bit more than City did, which surprised me. I'm so fascinated that you just said like a Wenger Arsenal team uh, and and Mark will uh, rib me for uh, bringing Arsenal into this as always. But Here we go. Do you remember when Pep was in charge of Barcelona and Arsenal were almost seen as the Barcelona light um, who tried to play and did play a lot of really beautiful football. Um, They were the closest version to Barcelona, maybe outside of Spain and certainly in the Premier League. But they always kind of fell short of the 
the killer strike and 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 getting over the line and uh, for all the possession and nice play and that's exactly what I thought about City yesterday like I, I was there watching it and had the same feelings now City have got much more about them it's very early in the season they've got players to come back they've just made the British transfer record signing of Jack Grealish and who are we to suggest that Pep is not going to blend this team really nicely to be ultra competitive again. And if they bring in a top striker, then you could easily see that striker scoring 30, 35 goals or more. So it was just in isolation what we saw that day uh, off the back of the Champions League final, maybe even the Community Shield as well. I think it will be giving City a little food for thought, especially on a weekend when Man United and Chelsea sort of laid down a marker with really impressive performances and, and even Liverpool at Norwich too. It, it did strike me though, just watching City in that last, particularly the last 25 minutes, you've got to go a bit easy on them given yep. disrupted pre-season, first game, all that kind of thing. But it just struck me, they don't have that, they just don't have that many goals in the team. You know, when you compare it to Manchester United scored five goals on Saturday without Marcus Rashford, Edinson Cavani, Jadon Sancho only came on late on, Martial came on late on. And the firepower, you start looking at City and you're like, well, where, where is that? Because there wasn't really anyone coming off the bench where you, apart from De Bruyne, obviously, but in terms of forward players where you're thinking, we're in trouble here as, 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 a, as a Tottenham fan. So that surprised me. And, and, you know, if City's position is Kane or no one, I think City are going to struggle to, to, to win the league again. The other thing about them being bullied yesterday or tackles flying in, you know, that that in the main was, for me, one of the big stories of the weekend. And that, that was, in every game that I saw, that was allowed. I mean, Manchester United and Leeds United on Saturday lunchtime went hell for leather at each other in that first 45 minutes in particular. You sort of have to hope on the entertainment that we've seen, Jack, that they stick to how they're refereeing this opening weekend. You can see that with Jafet Tanganga, who I think made, what, four or five fouls in the first half and wasn't booked. And at one point, uh, the referee called over Hugo Lloris and basically told Lloris, you know, mm. I'm not going to book yeah. him this time, but next time I will, which is quite unusual to see in a Premier League game. So, clear, yeah, it was a very liberal, it was a very liberal approach, and I wonder if the Premier League did decided that the product would be better served by more liberal refereeing. But certainly, for, you know, from a spectacle perspective, I think it is it is much better that way. And the same thing is true of the limited number of VAR referrals we saw this weekend. Um, which I think is much better for the game. There was that goal, sorry, forgive me, I'd forgotten which one, the goal in the Man United game that was... Bruno Fernandes. Allowed, yeah, yeah, allowed, but it was the kind of level decision that would have been given as offside last year. But I think from a fan's perspective, what we want to see is level being given as onside again. So if that's that's how it's going to work for the rest of the season, then that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, and sorry if your team has been punished, but I didn't see any outcries over these marginal decisions that were given in in favour of the attacker this weekend. Even in the Paris Saint-Germain game, when Icardi was clearly a bit in front of the the final defender and uh, a fellow journalist on Twitter said, oh, here we go, this is going to be the new controversy, but nothing blew up. Everyone kind of just accepted it, which shows we're probably, hopefully, getting towards a common sense place that we should have been at originally, and, and maybe the Euros has prompted that. The only thing was right at the end of that Tottenham game. I don't know if you, I don't know how many people paid attention to, to this specific moment, but there was a moment where a Man City player was countering, and Deli Ali went from behind. It was almost like 
a scissor directly from behind that was, I would say, a millimeter away from everyone today saying, why are, they, why are we taking such a liberal approach with refereeing? <laughs> And it, and it was like, it was an obvious, if he makes contact, it's an obvious red card. He missed, didn't he, Adam? And yeah. then Davison Sanchez recovered to make yeah. a, a sensational yeah. sliding yeah. tackle yeah, yeah, from yeah. the side. Yeah. And then Deli Ali went down with cramp, partly, I'm guessing, <laughs> just in just in case he was going <laughs> to, just in case the referee was looking yeah. for it. Yeah. But it does just show how small that margin is of letting things go to what would then become, we're not protecting our players you know, those stars that people pay to see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's come on to Harry Kane then, uh, uh, Jack uh, and David in particular. I mean, you've you've put... Uh, in your column, David, no active dialogue currently between City and Tottenham. There are lots of conflicting reports. I heard uh, Sam Lee on the radio, our, athletic, uh, our Athletic City correspondent yesterday, saying, you know, it all depends who your contacts are, what your contacts are saying, and what what they want you to believe in many ways. Yeah, I think it's very useful for us to explain this to the listeners that all of us speak to different people, in some cases, the same people. Uh, we sort of triangulate our information, um, try and decipher who's telling the truth, who might not be, whether it's somewhere in between or whether there's a bit of truth in all of it. And I think that's probably the case in this situation. You're referring to the Monday column. That item is written by Charlie Eccleshare, our Tottenham correspondent who understands that Harry Kane is yet to be reintegrated fully into training and therefore it wasn't a great surprise that he wasn't involved. I was hearing whispers that they were hoping to get him on the bench but since it seems that no one realistically thought he would be involved. There is, I don't know if the word is hope or plan or will on Harry Kane's part to be available for the European game on Thursday or the Wolves game on Sunday but then Let's talk about the City situation specifically. My information tallies with that which Charlie mentioned in the column, that there are no active talks between the clubs right now. I don't think Tottenham are prepared to engage. If Manchester City are to force the issue with a a price that might bring Tottenham to the table, then this situation might change. I've been quite clear in saying that I think Manchester City are prepared to pay around £100 million sort of fixed, and then they might go a bit higher with some add-ons, like 20, 25, 30 million. But it's not going to get, as things stand, to where it's reported Tottenham want it to be of £150, £160 million. But Daniel Levy has never actually said that. It's what we've kind of interpreted. He could just decide Harry Kane's not for sale. There's no break clause Uh, which is another issue altogether, very different to the Jack Grealish situation. It brings us back to the Harry Kane contract that was negotiated largely by his family in 2018, six-year deal. Um, So that's that part of the situation. 
However, we do know this can change at any moment. And that's why Sam is hearing things from City, people optimistic that he'll be coming in. Some people think that he will be coming in and we can only report what we're being told. And then there's the Harry Kane factor as well. Does it get to the stage now? And I think it does from speaking to people in football where it's his job to unlock this move. He goes to Daniel Levy and says, please engage with Manchester City. Um, And then that gets back to Manchester City who then come to the table. Is Kane prepared to do that? How forceful is he, especially without a so-called big agent when he's relying on his family to do so, which could get quite emotional? And will Daniel Levy budge? He's a businessman. He's hard-nosed. He'll be excited by yesterday's result, which will give him hopes of top four. If Harry Kane's part of that, maybe it's going to be a beautiful season in Daniel Levy's mind and that the money would not suffice. But of course, it's going to play out over the next couple of weeks in a, in a fairly dramatic way. I still think he's likelier to stay than to go. I think City have not yet given Daniel Levy anything to really think about. It's an interesting question as to why that is the case. Like, if City generally are not reluctant to pay up if they especially want to play. You know, they paid the £100 million for Grealish pretty quickly. But clearly, with Kane, they're dragging their heels a bit they are maybe waiting to see what happens in terms of Kane's relationship with Tottenham and you know maybe City will come back this week with a bigger bid uh, bigger than the 75 plus 25 which I believe is as much as they've offered so far but as it stands I you know told this morning that Daniel Levy is still adamant that Kane's not going anywhere Spurs are waiting to see what City are going to say if anything this week but Frankly, at the moment, I'd, I still expect him to stay at Tottenham by, at the end of the transfer window, regardless of what he might want. What probably doesn't do many parties favours in all of this, Adam, is that there's no actual race to sign Harry Kane, is there? You know, if you go if you go back to say one of the one of the big transfers of the last couple of two or three years, the Harry Maguire transfer, that was seen as a race between United and City to try and get Harry Maguire. But you look at all the places at the start of the summer that might have been thrown into who could have gone for him, United being one of them, Paris Saint-Germain being another, and Chelsea being another. None of them are even looking at him for a variety of reasons. I think one of the most fascinating things about this transfer window is we've not seen this with any players. There's not been a, a race to sign, you know, Jadon Sancho, Romelu Lukaku, um, Jack Grealish, uh, Ben White. That There hasn't been a real sort of one club bids, another club comes in with a counter bid, an auction develops that, that rushes a move along. It's all it's almost like there's been some sort of unspoken agreement between top clubs that, you know, well, we'll get him and we'll get him, even Messi. I mean, no one else was going for Messi. Um, mm. when, well, when, Varane, 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 Varane right? you know, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a, really, it's a really strange thing this summer. Um, and Kane, I think it's a move that he needs more than any of the other parties involved because you look next summer and a number of different attacking players become more available, whether that's Mbappe and Haaland. And we've been through that through that before. Maybe Lewandowski becomes even more available than he was suggested to be this summer. So different things become available. Harry Kane becomes 29. People already think he's not that fast anyway. Is he then worth what, you know, and his contract isn't that much further along. He's still tied in for a couple more years. So it's a move that Harry Kane really... He, he is the most interested party, I think, in this move. And I thought it was a really curious thing that both Tottenham and City did that was allow this to go beyond yesterday's game. Because if I'm City, 
there's a big risk factor to playing that game without, you know, really without a proper centre forward um, on our books. Because if that game goes wrong, all of a sudden everyone's now looking at Man City thinking they've not scored in the Champions League final. They've not scored on their opening day of the season. They have a problem. So not only are they a really rich club with resources that need a striker, they're also a team that can't score goals. And now, you know, they're a bit more desperate. And if I'm Daniel Levy, I'm thinking, well, they need him a bit more now. So let's put that price tag even further up than it was 48 hours ago. Um, So I, I... it's a really odd situation and it's going to take, as David says, you know, Man City, it's, the only way this is forced is by Man City producing the money. Manchester City could easily win the title with the squad that they've got. I mean, they, they, you know, having added Jack Grealish to a title winning squad, I know they've, they've lost Aguero. And, and you wondered, David and, and Jack and, and David, you go first, whether the City just sit there and go, you know what, we'll play the long game here because as Adam says, Players are going to become available next some next summer who are younger and and will probably provide better value for money in the long run. Yeah, I'm never going to write Pep off when we've seen what he's done in the past. And I think Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, that City were quite a bit off the pace. Was it last yeah. season? Early on, yeah. they turned it around to to handsomely win the title. I don't know of any alternatives to Kane. Perhaps it's just me lacking in information. I reported, I think, in early February that Romelu Lukaku was high on their list of uh, candidates for the number nine role. Danny Ings had been in and amongst the list if they were going to bring in even two attackers. But Harry Kane emerged, especially after the Erling Haaland pursuit was put to one side for at least a year. Given the time left in the transfer window, I'm inclined to think that unless they, I don't know, pull out all the stops to go for a Vlavic, who who many are, are interested in, uh, for a Latura Martinez or some, somebody else, then perhaps they will go with what they've got. We've seen that they can make the most of, of a range of strikers, as Pep calls them, and we could look very silly if we if we write them off and, and they go and win the next 10 games in a row and it, it wouldn't surprise you. I do think in the absence of Kane, it's looking like a summer 2022 move for somebody like Haaland if Real Madrid don't get him. I think City have a bit of confidence that if Real Madrid don't get him, they stand a really good chance. But that's a big if. And of course, as you say, there'll be other strikers on the market. And I think one of the issues with, with City's with this whole story, really, is clearly Guardiola likes Kane, but I'm not sure City as a club need Kane enough or they want Kane quite enough to get the deal done. You know, if Kane was the number one was the number one priority and they'd been desperate for him all season, then maybe they would have paid the money to get him in. But um, as it stands, you know, the fact is City won the Premier League and reached a Champions League final last season without a proper striker. They did it with, with Kevin De Bruyne up front, basically. Aguero barely played, Jesus didn't do much. So I don't think City absolutely need him. And they cert- I don't certainly don't think they need him to the extent that they would pay, let's say, $150 million up front, which is what it would take. Can I just go back to one of the points I made on Kane potentially needing to force this move now? I think it will have been relayed to Kane by whoever that this is your summer. You know, you're going to be 29 in a year's time. You might not have the chance to move to a Manchester City. Others might not want to sign you at that age. Equally, they might hypothetical so do you think Jack from what you know Adam that he will have the courage the ability to force this through to to 
the player to essentially bring clubs together or do you think that's going to be a losing battle i don't see which other cards kane has left to play you know he's done he's gone fairly public with his interview with gary neville just before the euros he's come back late for training at the start of this season he had a lengthy meeting with paratici last week at which he repeatedly told him that he wanted to go like what more can he do he could you know i don't i don't actually see what options Kane has to force it he's already he's already played I think his whole hand pretty much and it's not got him anywhere um and I do think a lot of this comes down and this is something that David has said in his column and which I think is really relevant here which is I don't know if there's quite enough political clout on the Kane side to get it over the line and that's why I'm that's one of the many reasons why I'm still of the view that I think he'll end up staying This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Let's move on to someone else who, who most definitely has the ball in his own court, which is uh, Paul Pogba. And uh, what I would say, I mean, you know Paris Saint-Germain well, Adam, you know, your loyalties are with Manchester United. I sense, I sense there is a whole season of, if Paul Pogba has a good performance, either sign him up or he's playing for a move, one or the two, uh, and if he has a bad performance, oh, don't offer him a new contract, get rid of him. That will be the noise from the outside. I actually think it's probably uh, they're a bit more calmer inside the camp. I mean, to take it back to the start of the summer, I don't think at the end of last season, anybody was particularly interested actually in signing Paul Popper this summer because most clubs on the market couldn't afford to do that deal. What then happened was he had a, he had a really good Euros, fourth rounds, and PSG clearly, you know, have been spending money this summer and started looking seriously at, we can probably get him. He's interested in the move. Let's make it happen. Then the messy stuff happens, which was unexpected, which no one, nobody had planned for. So Pogba's parked. So Pogba, as we know, has 12 months left on his contract um, or less now. And, you know, he's got this decision to make. And Man United have put, have, you know, have made offers. Those offers will remain there. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, one of the th- one of the things which is remarkable, despite some of Pogba's sort of patchier form slash agent intervention since Solskjaer's been at the club, is actually the relationship between Solskjaer and Pogba is really good, and there does seem to be an affinity and respect between between the two of them. So, I think Solskjaer's actually quite comfortable with the situation going into this season. 
what what you get though with Pogba is just this sort of endless like culture war when he has a good performance or bad performance. He, you know, he's it's always an extreme with Paul Pogba. You know, uh, he, he has a fantastic performance on Saturday, and everyone says this proves that he cares about the club. But then you set it against he got you know more assists on Saturday than he did in the Premier League in the entirety of last season. So it's this endless sort of tension and friction. United want him to stay. United want him to stay. And I think what they hope is now that he is being surrounded by better footballers and a better team, that he will look at Manchester United and think, you know, I can do something here. And actually the prospects of playing for Manchester United might be more tangible in terms of success than it would be for Real Madrid or Barcelona, for example, given the players that are at the club now. But where there's a problem is PSG is still interested and PSG would like him to run down that contract and do what Gini Wijnaldum, Donnarumma, Ramos, um, well, Messi as well have done, which is leave on a free and then sign for a very handsome signing on fee and wage package. And that that's going to be a story that will just roll and roll over the next few months. A very well-connected and articulate former player said to me yesterday that he would be mad to sign a new deal given everything we know about his agent moving players around, the sort of interest there will be in him, the chance to make another story somewhere else, have a great season and then leave on your Bosman free in 2022. And apart from Man United, everyone wins. Not to turn this into another Pogba culture war, but why write another story somewhere else where you've not written one yet at Manchester United? Yeah. You know, you know I mean, I think that is still a point with Paul Pogba. You know, if he was to leave next next summer obviously depends what he does this season but if it's more of the same of what we've had over the last five years it'd be hard to describe that as him leaving really a mark on on the club that's really substantial but when you start looking at this team now the way they looked on Saturday at least I know it's against a team that Manchester United could not have a better team to play against the Leeds because they give them so much space play so much on the transition so it makes these these players who love space like Pogba and Fernandes look even better, really, than, than what they would ordinarily look. So I think it's a case of let's see over the next few weeks when they play teams who sit in a bit more, who test United in different ways, how that Pogba landscape looks, because some of the people who were desperate for him to sign a new contract on Saturday might be again be saying, well, I wouldn't mind if he moved on. Hmm. Was that a former United player that said that to you or just a former player, David? Because depending on, depending on which it is, that has different slants no, not a former United player but a former top Premier League player and it was a bit of it was okay. a bit of a surprise I thought he was going to say wake up sign a new deal but he didn't they know how players think work their representatives their careers their priorities are very different from those of the clubs let's move on to a midfielder who I'm fairly sure has, has never been involved in a culture war which is which is Jordan Henderson uh, you have a uh, you have an exclusive David in your column on him. Yeah, so we reported last month that there was an issue with Jordan Henderson's contract renewal at Liverpool. It had basically reached an impasse. Negotiations were going nowhere because it wasn't so much the money. It was more that Henderson wanted FSG, the owners of Liverpool, to share his vision of what he can do over the coming years. He feels he can be at least as impactful in the next two, three, four seasons as he has been in the last, helping Liverpool to the Champions League title in 2019 and Premier League title a year later. He, of course, had last season disrupted by injury and there are natural to be doubts over somebody who's 31 years old and whether they deserve 
a pay rise, uh, longer time at the club. And this is a club that has um, been pretty clinical in the situations involving Steven Gerrard, Jeannie Vinaldum, and others. But I think Jordan Henderson's a bit different um, because he has been so iconic in recent years and so central to what they've done from a footballing and leadership perspective. He did not want to just be renewed to hang around the place as a leader. He wanted to be a key part of the side. So he went away on holiday after the Euros, as we know, and negotiations did step up after that, uh, thanks in no small part to the intervention of Jurgen Klopp. He's been pivotal in turning this situation around to the point where an agreement in principle has now been reached between the two sides over a three-year contract with an option of a fourth that will be contingent on the number of games he plays. And that means that this story, which had caused a lot of consternation in the Liverpool fan base, uh, is on track for a really positive conclusion that we'll see Henderson follow the likes of Van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho and Alisson in renewing over the last few weeks. Uh, he played in a behind-closed-doors friendly, we revealed in the column, for Liverpool against Aston Villa on Sunday. And apparently he was superb. Uh, that was at Anfield. And so hopefully for Liverpool, he'll be ready for their upcoming fixture next weekend. Uh, and the other thing in your column is, or one of the other things in the column is about Hector Bellerin wanting out from Arsenal. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like Hector Bellerin has been trying to get out of Arsenal for about two years. That's true. You're right. right. And um, it hasn't been sanctioned. Uh, he has been deemed too important by the various managers and executives. He was also very important in helping the club negotiate player wage cuts, if you remember, during the outbreak of the pandemic. But now I think the penny has dropped in his mind well and truly. He wants to go this summer. There's no two ways about it. He has lost his place in the team, it would appear. Um, Callum Chambers started the first game of the season at Brentford. He was one of three right-backs on the bench with Cedric Suarez, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Mikel Arteta bought Chambers off and he bought on a left-back in Nuno Tavares, a new signing. I think Hector Bellerin has tried to bring a number of proposals to the club in terms of Inter Milan, I don't know, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, some swaps. The Inter one was credible and it hasn't managed to develop because they wanted to do a loan with an option to buy or a loan with an option that would become an obligation so that they didn't have to put it in their accounts for this year. Whereas if it was a loan with an obligation, they would have to. So their financial position necessitated that that was tricky. Whereas Arsenal just wanted a loan with an obligation because they wanted to make sure they get the money for a player who maybe to a year or two ago, they could have got 20 million or more. And that's a, a source of frustration among the Arsenal fans. Why aren't they selling more of these players when they can get the money like they have done, to be fair, with Joe Willock. But Joe Willock is the exception there, yeah. isn't he, David? Yeah. And 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 there will be a lot of people, Arsenal fans and actually non-Arsenal fans, who are thinking, and they're not the by no means the only club here, but they are making a right pig's ear of trying to get players off their books. True. And, you know, I reported interest a year ago from Roma for Alexandra Lacazette, who Arsenal don't appear to be able to shift now. But equally, if you speak to people at Arsenal, they will say the offers weren't good enough. 
you need to be privy to exactly what those offers were to understand why we might not have accepted them. The second defense of them is that this is an incredibly difficult market, it would seem, for all but a few clubs. And certain players just don't seem to be able to be shifted. So there's still a couple of weeks to go in the transfer market. It doesn't appear to be a situation that's conducive to anybody, the the Bellerin one. It doesn't seem to be sustainable. And so I think they will both try and find a solution by the time the window shuts. And Arsenal do want to strengthen at right back. So I don't think they're blocking this, but I think Bellerin perceives them to not be doing enough to grant his wishes. And let's see if that changes. This Bellerin story is so typical of the struggles that so many Premier League teams are having, mm-hmm. which the, the, you know, I was speaking to a, a director at one Premier League team the other day who was saying to me, there's no liquidity in the market. There's no money in the market whatsoever. The only teams with any money are City, Chelsea and PSG. And frankly, if you're Bellerin or a player who's not quite good enough for those very top level teams, then normally you would expect to get moves abroad but the, the money isn't there and frankly this is a particular issue in Spain I think because traditionally the Spanish market is kind of re-liquidized every year by Barcelona and Real Madrid but for as long as Barcelona and Real Madrid are in the financial straits that they're currently in they're not buying pl- so many players from the this kind of mid-ranking Spanish teams and that means that mid-ranking Spanish teams don't have any money like the Premier partic- you know whether it's City, Arsenal, PSG Chelsea, um, Arsenal, like there are so many teams out there with so many players, they are desperate to get rid of and no one's got any money. No one's got any money to take these players. Adam, Bellerin's said to be prepared to even take a pay cut to get this move. So if you tally that with what Jack's saying, it's even more indicative of the strained market we're working in. Yeah, it is. I mean, pay cuts are very on vogue. Messi's taken a huge pay cut as well. So, um, it's everything's changing, but the I, I think what we're what is weird is we're seeing certain deal you know like the Lukaku wage we saw last week he was you know he was getting a big pay rise to to go from Inter Milan to Chelsea so at certain clubs you're seeing the wages continue to go up and at other and in other environments it is really shrinking and you know Inter Milan cannot cannot match you know what Arsenal were paying three or four years ago when they give, when they gave someone like Hector Bello in a contract um, or Alex Lacazette or whoever that may be. And, and, you know, a really good example of what Jack was saying, Lyon, a big French club who have Champions League pedigree to get their summer spending going this summer, they are trying to sell a player to Burnley. That is, that is where the European football market is. They are desperate to sell Max Cornet to Burnley for around 13 million so that they can go and sign a cast off from Liverpool in Jordan Shakiri. And that is where that's where the market is. If you are an, an Ajax or a Leon or a Benfica, that sort of size club, that, that's where it is. They can't they cannot compete even with a Burnley, really, at the moment. And that that is that is a massive problem in terms of getting this liquidity around European football. And even with that when deals are happening, I'm hearing that the transfer fees are being spread out over longer periods than ever before. So where you might have done a two or three year payment plan, you're now trying to do five or six. So that is not injecting a particular amount of money into the market at this point in time. And and where you said that uh, some clubs contracts are going up, you know, we know the Grealish uh, uh, salary was high. Um, We also report in the Monday column that, uh, Leicester are set to hand a new contract to Harvey Barnes. 
from what I hear, it's on the verge of being signed and it's a vast improvement on his previous salary. He was already under contract until 2024. There are clubs like Liverpool um, credibly looking at him. And so there are teams that are, are seemingly to have is to hold and to, to keep what you have and to invest in that. Liverpool, they're not making many moves in the transfer market, but they are um, looking after what, is currently in their possession. Good stuff. Uh, Jack, David, Adam, thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening. Dan and Flo are here tomorrow taking uh, a deep dive on one story that they've seen on The Athletic and then I'll be back on Thursday with the Business of Sport podcast also on this feed. From all of us, bye. The Athletic.